All right, that's my cue. Okay, could you take your Bibles and please turn to Luke 22, 63 to 71. In your pew Bibles is page 747. Reading from Luke 22, 63 to 71, the trial of Jesus. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said, and they said many things insult and insult others sorry, and they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. <clears throat> if you are the Christ, they said, Tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You are right in saying I am. Then they said, Why do you need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. If you've ever been a leader, you know that it can be a lonely experience. Uh, even in your own family, if you've ever been a parent, you know it can be a lonely experience. Oftentimes you have to decide between being popular and doing what you know is right. You have to choose between taking the easy way out and placating people or saving your own skin. Or taking a stand and letting the chips fall where they may. Decision-making is the true test of our character, and we're seeing this today. Last time we left Jesus in Gethsemane, and where he faced the same battle, and there's a picture depicting that on the wall over here. Would Jesus take the easy way of letting the cup pass from him, or the right way of following God's plan and dying for the people? This is the battle of every disciple. And for Jesus by now, in Holy Week, the battle was over. He had decided he will die. He will go through with it. He would carry out his mission to the bitter end. But Jesus is in the business of calling people of making the same choice. Choices about him. And over the last few weeks and months, many of you have been wrestling and, and in a good way with this choice of becoming a disciple of Jesus, following him, taking up the cross he has for you. You can do that or remain as a believer, someone who is happy to receive salvation, but is unwilling to pay the cost of discipleship. And today we will see that Christ's decision to follow the will of his Father creates a whole whack of trouble for people because he's always inviting us to follow him. He's always inviting us to make the same choices that he has made. And we're going to see this particularly 
uh, borne out in the life of a Roman leader, a man who was in this passage in Luke 23, was placed in the dilemma of his life. And he was forced to make a most fateful choice about Jesus. And in this man, we see our own struggle to either save our own skin or do the right thing. Can we pray? Father, we um, thank you for the scripture that Luke has written, recorded, the facts regarding the trial of Jesus. We thank you for the events of Holy Week and that, Jesus, you did not back down. In Gethsemane, you struggled and you sweat blood, as it were. And yet you said, not my will, but your will, Father, be done. And that's where the choice was made. And we thank you that you went into Jerusalem in this Holy Week, determined to go through with the will of your Father. And I pray, Father, that as we look at the events of the trial and how this has affected this man, Pilate, um, that you would speak. And you are always inviting us to, to make the choice and to follow you. And so help us to understand what it is you're asking us to do today and give us the courage to do it for your own namesake and for your own glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Pontius Pilate was a Roman born of the upper middle class. Little is known of him before the year A.D. 26. But in that year, the Roman emperor Tiberius appointed him as the, the fifth prefectus of Judea. Many say that Pontius Pilate never existed. However, this was put to rest in 1961, where an inscription of his name was found in Caesarea, which was his headquarters in Judea. Caesarea was a Roman garrison on the coast, right close to the ocean. And that's where he had his headquarters and his soldiers. Pilate had full control of the province of Judea. He had an army that was numbered at least 5,000 men. And above all, Pilate was sent there by Tiberius to do one thing above all other things, and that is to keep order, to keep peace and to keep order. Pilate had the full powers of life and death, and he could reverse the death penalties that the Jewish Council, the Sanhedrin, would, would predict or put down on people. He could reverse them. Pilate appointed the high priests in Judea. He stayed in Jerusalem during the Jewish festivals. So he'd moved from Caesarea down to, to Jerusalem for things such as the Passover. And he'd bring his troops along to patrol the city and to make sure that order was kept. He had an uneasy relationship with the Jewish leaders. They were always kind of fighting and bickering back and forth. He didn't make a lot of friends when he first moved into Judea. He raised the Roman standards, the Roman flags in the city of Jerusalem. Now, that didn't go down very well at all. There was a number of riots and demonstrations, and finally he had to take them down. He also, uh, at one point, plundered the, the, the temple treasury in Jerusalem. He took the money out of that in order to build an aqueduct for the city. This caused another riot, and many protesters were killed. The uh, historian Philo has very little good to say about Pontius Pilate. He describes him as a stubbornly harsh and a wrathful man. Luke, however, in his gospel, paints a somewhat different picture of Pilate, as we will see. In Luke 23, verse 1, I invite you to look there. The Sanhedrin, we just read the account of, of Jesus before the Sanhedrin that, that Steve read for us. And they've tried Jesus and they've convicted him 
of the crime of blasphemy. They asked him, do you claim to be the son of God? And in the Greek, in the original, he says, well, it is as you say, or you say that I am. And that was enough for them. They wanted to execute him, but the problem was they couldn't really do it. They did not have the power to execute a man. So early on this Friday morning, Pontius Pilate is confronted with an angry crowd at his Jerusalem headquarters. And they drag a young man with his hands bound before him. And they began making accusations about this young man. And they began demanding the death penalty for him. And they want a decision. But they know that the charge of blasphemy won't cut it with Pilate. He doesn't care that much about the Jewish religion. And so they have to come up with other charges. So they they come up with a number. The first thing they say is, well, he's subverting the nation. He's stirring people up to rebellion. Well, that was not true. And Pilate probably knew that. And he had a second charge. Well, he refuses to pay taxes to Caesar. Well, we know that one's not true because Jesus had instructed people to pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar and give to God the things that are God, God's. But the third charge was a little more interesting. They said, this man claims to be a king. This man claims to be a political challenger to the power of Rome, of which you are an administrator. And in recent years, there had been a number of men who had risen up and and started rebellions. And they claimed to be Messiah. They claimed to be king. And all of these rebellions were put down and all of the leaders, the so-called messiahs, have been killed. So Jesus was portrayed by the Jewish leaders to to Pilate as another one of these would-be kings. Apparently, though, Pilate is smarter than this. He doesn't fall for the tactic. He does not see Jesus as a political or a military threat. But he simply asks him, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, yes, you say that I am in the original. Or it is as you say. Jesus doesn't deny it. But Pilate has enough sense to see that Jesus is no political threat to Rome. He senses that this is more to do with the religious envy of the Jewish leaders than with overthrowing Rome. He doesn't like the Sanhedrin crowd much anyways. (laughs) And what gets me in this passage is the calmness of Jesus compared with the agitation and the wrath and the antagonism of the crowd. Jesus doesn't do a lot in this whole passage other than just stand there before people. He, he stands before people and he answers very few of their questions. Because his decision is made. I'm doing this thing. It's done. Pilate, though, looks at Jesus and he's perplexed because he's not defending himself. He's not, he's not getting a lawyer. He's not demanding mercy. He's not doing anything. He's just standing there. And it's perplexing to him. And he decides very early in the process. Pilate decides, I better have nothing to do with this man. I need to look for a way out of this one. And so after, we don't have the whole account of the examination, but he he concludes after questioning Jesus, I find no charge against him. There's nothing that, that he's not broken any Roman laws. There's no reason to execute him. Not so easy, though, for Pilate. The leader's answer, look, he stirs up the people. He stirred up the whole country, starting way up north in Galilee and all the way down south to here, the capital in Jerusalem. Galilee. Now, now Pilate's ears prick up and his eyebrows go up. 
When you don't want to make a hard decision about something, <laughs> it's very desirable to let someone else make that decision. Besides, King Herod, who was the ruler over Galilee, what happened to be in town for Passover. He was at his Jerusalem headquarters as well, his Jerusalem palace. So Pilate says, you know what? This is a religious question. I'm going to send you to Herod. Herod will take care of it. He thinks, I didn't have to dodge that bullet. Now, this was Herod Antipas, who was the puppet ruler of Galilee, put in by the Romans. He was no friend of Pilate either. I mean, these guys all hated each other. Um, as a Jew, he, he resented Pilate's oppressive measures. But he was no choir boy himself. I mean, this was the man that had executed John the Baptist. You know that story. Pilate was delighted when Jesus was brought before him. And it was a political move because he was enemies with Pilate. And here Pilate sends him this Jesus so that he could have a court session with him. And Herod sees this as an olive branch, a political alliance, a gesture of friendship and goodwill. And Pilate wanted to see some miracle from Jesus. And he questions him endlessly, hoping that he would do something turn water into wine or turn stones into bread or something. But he gets no answers. He gets no miracles. Jesus is silent. He doesn't even answer one question as the chief priests and the teachers of the law throw accusation after accusation at him. Herod gets nowhere with Jesus. And he gets angry. And he gets even. And so he has the soldiers dress Jesus up with a robe, probably a white robe, which would have been the symbol of Messiah. The Jewish kings wore white robes. And they bowed down in mockery before Jesus and paid homage to this king who they did not believe in. And Jesus says nothing. And Jesus now is sent back across town, back to his new friend, Herod's new friend, Pilate. And you can imagine how Pilate would feel to see Jesus coming back with all these, this whole throng with him. He's going, oh man, here we go again. Jesus will do that, you know. He will go away from you for a while. If there's an important decision you need to make about him, he will go away. He'll leave you for a while. But sooner or later, he will come back and he will stand in front of you. <laughs> and he may not even say anything. He'll just stand there and he'll be inviting you to make a decision about him. Not demanding anything, not accusing you of anything, just standing there waiting for you to decide. I can remember when I was 29 years old, that's what happened to me. I had run from God's call in my life for about 10 years. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want pastoral ministry. I'll do anything in the kingdom, Lord, just not this. And uh, when I was 29, I, I, it just came to me one day and I was standing in a park in Coquitlam in B.C., and it was just like Jesus was standing there and he wasn't forcing me. He wasn't saying, you have to do this. You're not a good person. And he wasn't accusing me. He just stood there <laughs> and it's like, OK, make a decision about me. And if you say no, he'll go away for a while and he'll come back. And this is Pilate's experience. Jesus goes away for a while and then he comes back. Pilate really needs a way out now. The crowd is getting more agitated. They want blood. But I can't execute him. It's not right. This is madness. There's nothing to execute him for. But he thinks, oh, yes, each year we have this custom at Passover. We release one prisoner. 
Maybe I can work it somehow so that I could release this Jesus. I might have to flog him or something just to show that there's some blood so that the crowd will be satisfied. But I really do not want to execute this man. I'm not having a good feeling about this. And so Pilate calls the leaders and the people together. He says, look, he says, Herod has examined him. I've examined him. We've, we find no basis for the charges that you have. He's done nothing to deserve death. It's ironic. Pilate is preaching the gospel. <laughs> this Roman prefect, Roman governor. She says, look, I'll punish him just to give you something. You'll get your blood and then I will release him. That's what I'm going to do. So he thinks he has a good decision. Now, by this time, and this is what fascinates me in the story, because it's Palm Sunday. The crowds were crying Hosanna, right? The crowds love Jesus. I mean, by and large, throughout the whole gospel, the crowds love Jesus. The leaders hated Jesus, but the crowds loved him. And they cried Hosanna to the king, and they welcomed him into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But by this time on Friday... Uh, Luke doesn't record it, but I believe John says, or Matthew says, that the chief priests and the, and the scribes had convinced the people to ask for Jesus' death and to release Barabbas to them. And I don't know how that happened. I don't know what they told the crowd. I don't know what happened there, what kind of spiritual warfare was going on. But by the end of the week, the crowd had turned on Jesus too. And it says in verse 18, it says, with one voice, you can think of this, thousands of people were crying out, away with this man, shouting this at Pilate, release Barabbas to us. And Pilate knew about Barabbas. I mean, the man was a rebel. He was a murderer. And there's an irony in this story that the Jewish leader, Jewish leaders were causing a riot and they were causing the very thing that they accused Jesus of doing, they were doing. They were causing civil unrest a riot and rebellion. And it's getting worse. And so Pilate's hand begins to be forced. He realizes his madness. He begins to see the situation is starting to slip away from him. He tries again to calm the crowd. He, he tries to, to shout louder than they do. It's getting beyond reason now. He tries a second time. Why? What has this man done? He's done nothing worthy of death. They won't even answer him by this time. All they shout is crucify him Kill him. He needs to die. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. The crowd, it just gets louder and louder. And you know what a mob is like if you've seen it on television or been part of it. Once mob mentality takes over, there's no reasoning anymore. Pilate looks at the crowd who's shouting at him. Pilate looks at Jesus who's standing there calmly. He's got the choice of his life. Pilate also knows that above all, Emperor Tiberius has sent him to Judea to keep peace and order. And if this thing gets out of hand, his neck is on the line. And so Pilate makes a choice. My comfort, my position as a Roman prefect, or the life of this man. So what is on the surface, the trial of Jesus, really is the trial of Pilate's soul. And so he tells himself, this is for the best. It's best that one man dies to quell this rebellion, to keep the peace, to keep my position, to keep order, to satisfy the cries of these people. 
And so in verse 24, he makes the decision that we all make at many points in our life. He decides to save his own skin. He releases Barabbas from prison, knowing that this man has committed insurrection and has committed murder. And he releases Jesus into the hands of the people to die. And we don't know what would have happened had Pilate done the right thing. I wondered about that. What if he had said, no, I will release him. I will not execute him. Likely there, there would have been a riot. And likely Jesus would have died that day one way or another. But he could have chosen differently. The facts were clear to, to Pilate. But the facts are clear to you and me too, aren't they? All of us are Pilate. Sooner or later, Jesus stands before us in each and every situation of our lives. And he says, are you going to save your own skin? Are you going to do the comfortable thing? Are you going to preserve your position and your dignity? Or are you going to choose to follow me? Jesus stands before us with his hands out and he says, make the choice. Will you do the right thing? Will you follow me? Or will you choose to protect your own life, your own ego? Will you choose to keep the peace in your own life? Because following Jesus can create a little bit of chaos for a while. And, and it's not always smooth. There's a price to pay. But folks, this is the price of discipleship. And we're all pilot. And we can make the choice to follow. Can we pray together? Father... We often judge Pilate and we see him as weak and vacillating and condemn him and all that. And I suppose those things happen, but we can see ourselves in that you stand before each one of us. And we have to make a choice in this thing of discipleship, this concept of discipleship to follow you, no matter what the consequences, no matter what the cost to us. Or we can choose to save our own skin, to keep the peace, to keep order, to keep our position, our status, our role, our comfort. And that is basically what it is about here. So, Lord, I pray for my people and I pray for myself that as these choices of discipleship come to us, we would have courage to choose to follow you, to make the choice, to pay the price, whatever it is, knowing that this leads to life, knowing that this leads to eternal life and to your purpose and plan be fulfilled, being fulfilled in each one of our lives. And I pray that we would make that choice and give us grace, Lord, to carry through. And we thank you for the events of Easter. And I thank you, Jesus, that you did not do anything that you did not, or you did not ask us to do anything that you did not do yourself. And we thank you for following through, right through Friday, right through to Sunday. May we do the same. Amen.